Dana had a life that I could understand. She was, she is a chaplain. I've never done chaplain work exactly, but I know lots of chaplains. While the work is different, I think of chaplains as sort of part of our clergy circles. I mean, it's true that like a part of my training to become a pastor was a short chaplaincy residency. I mean, I've gotten a taste of the work. I can imagine it. I can imagine Dana's life as a chaplain. Dana had a husband and a house and a dog. Dana's ordained. I mean, it's all stuff I can imagine. I can wrap my head around it. She and her spouse ended up splitting up, and I can imagine that too. That's Dana's before. All that stuff that I can imagine. And then something happened to Dana that I I can't imagine, I can't conceive of. And even while it was still happening to her, people tried to tell her own story in a way that they could wrap their heads around. It must not be what it looks like. There must be some backstory. Can't be as bad as she's making it sound. And when it was over, people tried to tell her story in a way that they could grasp. Dana must have had some part to play in all of it, which is to say she must be at fault somehow, which is to say she must have at least made some mistakes, which is to say if I avoid making those same mistakes, I can avoid what happened to Dana. Because Dana and I are alike. I mean, I would have thought we are. We were. I think I understand the world we both live in, clergy women doing our best to do our jobs and live our lives. But what happened to her, I mean, it's just beyond what I thought was possible. Beyond what I thought was possible for someone like her, which is to say for someone like me. The man who'd been born blind had lived in the area his whole life. People knew him, they knew his folks, they'd gone to synagogue. When they'd gone to synagogue, they'd gone together. People knew this man, they knew his story, they understood the world that they shared, they understood what causes things like blindness, and they understood that certainly blindness cannot be undone. Afterward, when it was over, People tried to tell his story for him, too. They tried to write his backstory. He was a sinner, or his parents were sinners, and that's why he was blind. Or or maybe, since everyone knows that blindness can't be undone, I mean, maybe, it sounds crazy, but maybe it wasn't even the same guy. It just couldn't be what it looked like. It was easier for his neighbors to imagine that this man they'd lived with his whole life was actually a different person than to admit that things were not the way they thought because something happened to him that was unimaginable, inconceivable. I mean, there had to be some explanation, besides the one he was giving. I mean, his version didn't make any sense. Some man called Jesus smeared mud on his eyes, and then after all these years, he could see? No. I mean, because if that were true, it's not. It's not true. It can't be the way he's telling it. In all of these healing stories from the gospel, we rarely get any sense of what's next for the people involved. 
now that they can see or walk or are restored to themselves and in their right minds. I mean, we never, and I think that's right, I think we never get a sense of them putting their lives back together or together for the first time. Many of us, though, can imagine what it means to start over after everything has changed. We can imagine starting over after everything has changed because so many of us have done it in one way or another. After a time of change or a time of loss. We do see in several of the healing stories the way that other people try to make sense of what's happened. When the man who was chained naked among the tombs rejoiced while he rejoiced, other people whispered behind their hands, suspicious and scared. When this man, born blind, told about what had happened to him, the suspicions were louder, out in the open. Neighbors dragged the man in front of religious authorities where he simply repeated his story. I was blind, and now I see. He repeated it. I was blind, and now I see. He was a man called Jesus. I was blind, and now I see. He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. I've told you, and you aren't listening. Do you want to hear it again, he asks later in the chapter. I was blind, and now I see. Finally, way down in John 9, exasperated, he says, here's an astonishing thing. You don't know where he comes from, but he opened my eyes. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind, and by the end of that version of the story, the man has changed from referring to Jesus as some guy called Jesus to saying, if he's not from God, I don't know who is. That last part is a paraphrase. In so many of the healing stories, some people actively want something from Jesus. They call out to him from the side of the road. They've been seeking help for years from other healers, from doctors. They've been praying for relief, and now, walking down the road, here it comes. For this guy, though, the man born blind, we don't see any of that. All we know with him, according to his own story that he tells again and again, is that he once was blind, And now at the end of the story, he can see. All we know is that whatever's next, he's never done it before. Not this way. All we know is that other people cannot really take it in. Dana was abducted by a man she helped while she was a chaplain. She'd offered him professional support, and then sometime later he broke into her house and abducted her, and he kept her with him for five months. They traveled around, stayed in hotels while he made and sold drugs, and while he probably murdered people and enacted other violence as a white nationalist. I mean, do you see what I mean, how it feels like it couldn't happen to someone like me, a chaplain? Stuff like that doesn't happen to people I know doesn't happen to clergy people who take care of people in hospitals and jails and retirement communities. I mean, the chaos, it just couldn't happen. By which I mean it couldn't happen to me. I can't conceive of it. During the five months when they were in public, Dana tried to make a certain kind of eye contact with people, hoping that they might notice that something was wrong or ask her. 
On a few occasions, she even got away long enough to speak to some police officers, but none of them could imagine it either. In fact, if you asked them, it didn't look like much of anything. I mean, there must be some kind of something going on. She must not be telling the truth. I mean, this was, it was something else. And then, after five months, a construction worker staying at the same hotel was left to watch over her to make sure she didn't get away. Instead, he helped her get out, and she spent the next couple of years as a construction worker, like in the poem, learning how to walk, learning how to step over cords, learning how to interact with the crew, learning to climb ladders, always on the move. A woman like me, with my training, working with a traveling construction crew, learning how to carry her end of a steel beam, how to read blueprints. And then one day, she had a job as a chaplain again. A woman like me, she got her life back, we might say. She was restored to herself, the Bible might say. What a relief. That whole nightmare over, right? I haven't ever heard anything like it. I mean, I've heard of people being abducted, I've heard of drugs, I've heard of violence. But I've never heard anything like her story. And it made me think that there are more terrible possibilities in the world that I, than I had imagined. And frankly, I have a pretty good imagination for terrible things. It made me realize that maybe there are more people in the grocery stores trying to make eye contact in a certain way than I thought. And then, because of our sermon series, it made me think about the way back after a catastrophe. After everything has changed, for the worse or for what we think of as the better. Freedom, sight restored, sight granted. After all that happened to Dana, she had to begin with nothing, with no home, no phone, no identification, no address, no job. I mean, those are circumstances that lots of people face, actually, for much less dramatic reasons. But with huge relief, her, her freedom, work, coworkers who had her back, a chance to do the work that she knows and loves again, with all of that relief came the necessity of starting over again, again. There are these things that we yearn for, rightly, things that would make a big difference to us or to the world. Healing, a relationship, freedom, the end of school, a new job, a better place to live, and those are all real things, real things that we need, real needs that we have. And even so, in whatever our after is, whatever the good news of our after, there is always the now to deal with. We all always have to figure out what's next. Even in circumstances that are undeniably good or better, I got out. We're still ourselves, we still bring into that new, never before, all of who we are. And other people are still themselves trying to rewrite our backstories and the why and trying to make sense of who we are and what must have happened and trying to deny our miracles or wrangle them into a shape that they can get their heads around. 
So many times in the Gospels, in one way or another, Jesus makes the claim that he's done a healing miracle to reveal God's power in ways that people might be able to perceive it. He prays out loud at the grave of Lazarus for the sake of the onlookers. He tells the man let down on a mat to get up and walk so that the crowd would believe that Jesus can forgive sin. Healing this man, the one born blind, so that his neighbors and his parents and the Pharisees would have to contend with the truth that there's something about Jesus that can change everything. Yes, Jesus can change the pressing, immediate needs. But Jesus can also change the stuff you carry around with you, the stuff you've always carried around with you. Yes, in ways that can be terrifying, Jesus can change the way you perceive the world around you and understand it. The action and power of God is so disruptive that in the aftermath, in the after, it forces people to reconsider what they thought they knew, how they thought things worked. So it's good news. Change is coming. Change is possible not just for the immediate and the pressing, but change for who we have been for years and years. Ways of being that we thought were innate, inborn. The things that have been true of us since birth are so long that it might as well have been since birth. There are these miracles that Jesus does that change things we think of as unchangeable. Feeding thousands, granting sight, restoring health, healing chronic illnesses, miracles that change everything for the individuals who experience them. And miracles that make people say, I had no idea that was possible. I mean, I basically still don't think that's possible. Miracles that necessitate figuring out what's next. Miracles that point beyond themselves, beyond even their extraordinary, unexplainable details. Miracles that change us from who we were to who we will be. Miracles that require new ways of seeing, new ways of understanding. Miracles that ask, now that you've got what you thought you needed, what's next? Today is the first day of the rest of your lives. But the whole point of the miracles, Jesus said again and again, is to demonstrate what God can really do. Which is, when everything is new, again, to make a way which is when everything is lost, to start again. Which is when the unforgivable has happened, to forgive. Which is when the unthinkable has happened, to imagine with us a future we never could have conceived of until right about now.